What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of MLB Morning Coffee on a Friday. So before I get into everything, I want to remind you to write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe, and also to make sure to tell your friends about the show. So I want to address a couple of things first, and that is, number one, the current state of where this show is. I appreciate everybody that has supported this show since we started back in February. And as the baseball season rolled along, we were able to get into the daily recaps, and I thought it was a very unique thing we're doing. And I want to get back to that. One of the reasons why I haven't been doing them is that right now there's just a lot going on that, quite frankly, is a priority over this podcast. I was working as an associate research producer for Pac-12 Network, and I got furloughed back in April. I was under the assumption that I would be coming back come mid-August, which is why I didn't really have really as much of an urgency to find another job. And I had seen all of the signs pointing to the Pac-12 is going to play football. We're going to resume life as normal. Obviously, that is not the case. The Pac-12 is not going to play football. And a lot of our company has been furloughed or laid off, myself included. Trying to find a new job for me is the greatest priority right now. This podcast takes up a lot of time. I've had to do a lot of other stuff around where I live because I'm trying to get a rent credit. It's, it's Seriously, I, I'm doing some cleaning for the landlord who lives out of state because they want to get more tenants into the house where I live. And the more I clean, the bigger discount on my rent credit. So I got to worry about jobs. I got to worry about rent credit. And look, I love baseball, but at a certain point, baseball is just not that important. And I take it very seriously because I'm a huge baseball fan. But I want everybody else to remember that it is indeed only a game. I want to continue to do this product to the best of my ability. And I promise you, once I am gainfully employed again, we're going to be able to do the show that we once were doing because I can get myself into a routine and be able to have a normal work day, then sit down and do the podcast at night. But for right now, it's just going to kind of depend upon how the day goes. And I know that that's not what you want. You need consistency from your podcast. We advertise ourselves as a daily podcast. I still want to be able to do a daily recap to the best of my ability. So we're not going to be doing highlights for a little while. We're just going to be kind of doing a whip around around the scoreboard. At least today... I am going to give you stats and league leaders because I think that it's important to do a reset on that. It's important to do a reset on the standings. I'm not going to recap the three days of games that I missed because it's just a little bit too much at this point. So before I do get into our whip around recaps, today is September 11th. It is the 19th anniversary of September 11th. And It was one of the more tragic days in the history of the United States of America. Now, you can make the argument right now that there is some other really tragic stuff that's going on in our country. And I don't think from an emotional standpoint that anything rivals what happened in New York and in Pennsylvania on September 11th. But one of the reasons I do want to bring it up, and again, I've been criticized by my reviews for being too political. I am not a Republican, but President George W. Bush 
Throwing out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium after baseball resumed post 9-11 was one of the most unifying moments in the history of not only this country, but maybe in the history of Major League Baseball. Baseball did an amazing job of bringing back this country emotionally from 9-11. And I actually made the argument on a prior episode that baseball was a unifier during a time of tremendous difficulty. I really hope that that would be the case for baseball and COVID as well. But I want people, at least those that can remember that are listening to this, and I understand that there are a lot of people that might be listening to this that weren't alive when 9-11 happened or were too young to remember when 9-11 happened. But what I want you to remember is that baseball was able to bring this country back together after 9-11, a point where a lot of people were very vulnerable. And I think it's very important to remember what baseball did to capture the hearts and minds of everybody. And as much as I'm not a New York Yankees fan, how appropriate it was that the Yankees were in the 2001 World Series. I thought that that was absolutely fitting. Given the moment, they were the right team to be in. And I think that that is extremely important to remember. So when you remember 9-11 from a baseball perspective, remember what 9-11 did to, or rather what baseball did to help recover the soul of this nation from 9-11. I sincerely had hoped that that was going to be the case with baseball and COVID-19. I don't necessarily think it's been the case. I think a lot of people would agree with me. But in any event, let's go quickly through a recap of yesterday. Doubleheader between the Tigers and the Cardinals. Cardinals won the first game 12-2. Flaherty the winner 3-1. Scooble the loser 1-2. Homers in the game. Molina hit his third. Lane Thomas his first. Paul Goldschmidt his fifth. Ravello his first for St. Louis. Jaime Candelario his sixth for Detroit. Game two, Tigers over the Cardinals 6-3. to three. Cisnero the winner 2-2. Two two. Gallegos the loser 1-2. Garcia the save, his second. Cardinals were leading 3-1 going into the top of the seventh inning. Five runs were scored by Detroit in that top of the fifth inning. Highlighted specifically by a Jonathan Scope RBI single, a Jaime Candelario single, and a Jorge Bonifacio two-run homer. Bonifacio hit his second homer of the season. Candelario hit his seventh. For St. Louis, it was Tommy Edmond that hit his fourth. Day game at the Coliseum in Oakland. A's over the Astros 3-1. to one. Sean Manaya the win, 4-2 and two for him. Jose Urquidy the loss, he is 0-1. Liam Hendricks the save, his 12th. So, a couple of stats I want to point out here. Sean Manaya two hits in seven innings, one run. He only struck out four, so to go seven innings and have just four strikeouts and allowing just two hits, phenomenal. That's great pitching to contact. He had, I think, just 61 pitches. So he was pulled after 61 pitches, 41 strikes. 61 pitches in seven innings is amazing. So I don't want that to be underscored here. Also, the only homer of the game was Matt Olson, his 12th. Matt Olson. I think was like the 13th fastest player in Major League history to reach 100 career homers, something like that. I heard that on the radio. And my Liam Hendricks stat, A's are 20-0 in games in which he pitches this year. So moving on, 
Angels over the Rangers, 6-2. Dylan Bundy, the win, 5-2. Kyle Gibson, the loss, 1-5. Bundy allows two runs in seven and a third innings. 12 strikeouts for him. So very impressive performance by him. Homers, Jared Walsh, his third. Mike Trout, his 16th. Mike Trout's already got 16 homers. I think that is amazingly impressive for the Rangers. Nobody hit a homer for them. Braves over the Nationals, 7-6. to six. Martin, the winner, 1-1. One one. Rainey, the loser, 1-1. One one. Mark Melanson picks up his ninth save. Homers in the game. Freddie Freeman hit two. He's got 10 on the year. Also, Ronald Acuna hit his 11th. Dansby Swanson hit his 7th. For Washington, Adam Eaton hit his 4th. Worth noting, by the way, that Atlanta on Wednesday night beat Miami 29-9. So there were 13 homers in the game, I believe, for Atlanta. I'm going to have to double-check that. It was also the first time in Major League history, and shout-out to the man known as Fastball 360, Tyler Oman, for this stat. It is also the first time that a Major League Baseball game has ended with the score of 29-9. to Yes, that is amazing. Going back to the beginning of the history of Major League Baseball, this is the first time that a game has ever ended 29-9. to Absolutely amazing. Moving on to the American League Central, Royals over the Indians 11-1. to Brady Singer carried a no-hitter into the eighth inning. He goes eight innings of one-hit baseball, two walks, eight strikeouts. He did not allow any runs. Singer is 2-4. and four. Aaron Savali takes the loss for Cleveland. He is 3-5. and five. Homers for Kansas City. Edward Olivares, his third. Adalberto Mondesi hit his second. Michael Franco hit his seventh. No homers for Cleveland. Boston over Tampa Bay, four to three. Weber, the winner, one and two. Fairbanks, the loser, four and two. Barnes, the save, his fifth. Homers in the game. Rafael Devers, his tenth. Bobby Dahlbeck has come on in an absolute flurry. The former Cape Cod leaguer with the Orleans Firebirds. He has six homers now in just a very short time with Boston. For Tampa, Hunter Renfro, his seventh. Brandon Lau, his 11th. So we'll move on to Miami. Marlins over the Phillies, 7-6. to six. Garcia, the winner, 1-0. Workman, the loser, 1-2. This was a walk-off for Miami, thanks to a Jorge Alfaro RBI single. Also a fun fact, because of the Marlins and the Phillies' COVID outbreak at the beginning of the season, this game was the first of a seven-game series. Yes, they're going to be playing seven consecutive games against each other, which includes yesterday. Both of these teams were supposed to have yesterday off on the original schedule. They also are doing a bunch of makeup games and doubleheaders. It is going to be a lot of Marlins and Phillies over the course of the next few days. So be ready. These teams are going to get sick of each other. Homers in the game just won. JT Realmuto hit his 11th for Philadelphia. Cubs over the Reds, 8-5. Ryan, the winner, 1-0. Sonny Gray, the loser, 3-5-3. or rather five and three. Jeremy Jeffers picked up his seventh save. Worth noting that there were no homers in this game between two teams that like to hit a lot of homers. So that is very interesting as well. San Diego over San Francisco, 6-1 down at Petco Park. The Giants finally have their hot streak come to a halt. Adrian Morajon gets the win. He is 2-0 out of the Padre bullpen. Chris Paddock left after just two innings. Trevor Cahill, the loss. 
He is 0-1. Manny Machado hit his 13th homer. Ona hit his first homer for the Padres. Wilmer Flores is ninth for San Francisco. Final game of yesterday, Diamondbacks beat the Dodgers 5-2. Smith the winner, 1-0. Gonsolin the loser, 0-1. Gonsolin had to pitch five innings out of the bullpen. Dustin May left after just one inning of work. Not sure exactly what happened there. Homers in the game, Carson Kelly his third for Arizona. Corey Seager hit his 12th for Los Angeles. A.J. Pollock hit his ninth for Los Angeles. Madison Bumgarner started the game. He gave up two homers. I think Mad Bum has given up something like 15 homers already. This is not the same Madison Bumgarner as years past. So that is it in regards to everything from yesterday. Let's talk about what's going to happen today. So looking over today's ball games, it's a doubleheader between the Orioles and the Yankees getting started at 4.05 Eastern time. Orioles will have Alex Cobb in game one, Garrett Cole in game one. In game two, it'll be Aiken for Baltimore, Tanaka for New York. Phillies and Marlins will have a doubleheader at 5.10 Eastern time. Aaron Nola for Philly against Trevor Rogers for Miami. Game two, starters yet to be decided. 6.05 Eastern Time, Braves are at the Nationals. Josh Tomlin against Eric Fetty. That's Braves versus Nats in that pitching matchup. In Toronto, or rather Buffalo, I should say, Mets are at the Blue Jays. Jacob deGrom against Chase Anderson. 6.40 Eastern Time, Red Sox at the Rays. Andrew Triggs versus Blake Snell. 8.05 Eastern, 7.05 Central Time, Pirates at the Royals. Steven Brault against Chris Bubich. 7.05 Central Time, A's at the Rangers. Mike Fires versus Luis Garcia. 7.10 Central, Indians at the Twins. Shane Bieber versus Kenta Maeda. This will be a great pitching matchup. Bieber is 7-0 with a 125 ERA. Kenta Maeda 4-1 with a 2.77. Tigers at the White Sox, 7.10 Central Time. Casey Mize for Detroit against Lucas Giolito for Chicago. 7-10 in Milwaukee. Cubs are at the Brewers. John Lester for the Cubs. Brandon Woodruff for the Brew Crew. 7-15 in St. Louis. Reds at the Cardinals. Luis Castillo for Cincinnati. Adam Wainwright for St. Louis. Angels at the Rockies at 6-40 Mountain Time. Griffin Canning for L.A. Herman Marquez for Colorado. 6-10 Pacific Time in San Diego. Giants at the Padres. Johnny Cueto for SF. Garrett Richards for San Diego. And then the Mariners are at the Diamondbacks. You say Kikuchi for Seattle. Caleb Smith for Arizona. That is all for today's ball games. Let's take a look at the standings right now. I didn't give you the standings in the recaps just because I'd rather save it for this segment. So let's take a look first at the American League East because let's face it, we've got basically about 2 weeks left to go in the season. Tampa Bay is at 28 and 16. They are three and a half games up on the Toronto Blue Jays in the American League East. It has been a really rough year for the Yankees, but the Blue Jays are 24-19. and 19. The Yankees are five and a half back of Tampa. They are two back of Toronto at 22-21. and 21. Baltimore is 20-22. and 22. They are seven games back in the division. They are three and a half back of Toronto for second place. Boston, meanwhile, is at 16-29. and 29. So let's take a look at what it's going to take for the Yankees and the Orioles to get back in the chase against the Rays or the Blue Jays. 
So I want to take a look at the schedule here real quick and just give you a little bit of an evaluation of what I think is going to end up happening. So taking a look at the Yankees schedule, I'll let you evaluate for yourself how you think this schedule is going to play out. So this is the Yankees' remaining schedule. They've got a doubleheader against the Orioles today, then games against the Orioles at home on Saturday and Sunday. Off Monday, then they host a critical three-game set against the Blue Jays beginning on the 15th. Then a three-game series at the Red Sox, a four-game series at the Blue Jays, and then they finish up at home with the Marlins. So, critical to note, they are behind the Rays by five and a half games. They do not have any games left against Tampa Bay. So with no games left against the Rays, they're going to have to take care of business against the Blue Jays. So let's take a look at how the Blue Jays line up to finish out their season. So we know that they've got the seven games against the Yankees. So Toronto right now is going to be hosting the Mets. So after they're done with the Mets, they are going to be at the Yankees. Then they will be at the Phillies for four games, including a doubleheader. They finish up with the Orioles at home. So... They have a bit of a tougher schedule, but again, Blue Jays versus Yankees is going to be the matchup to watch. Now the Orioles, because the Orioles are still in it. They're three and a half games back of Toronto. This is going to be really critical for them to perform down the stretch. This series against the Yankees, depending upon whether it goes their way or not, will either make or break the rest of their race. They will host the Braves after their series with the Yankees, which, by the way, is a five-game series because they already – no, wait, never mind. It's not a five-game series. I just read the schedule wrong. But they're going to have three with the Braves. Then they're going to have five with Tampa. So they're going to end up having a doubleheader on Thursday the 17th, then three more games against the Rays. So that's their critical stretch. They'll go to Boston and to Buffalo to face the Blue Jays the rest of the season. Their matchups with the Rays and the Yankees are going to determine a lot here. I think that the Yankees could overtake the Blue Jays if the Yankees get healthy, but it is a much more favorable schedule for the Yankees than I would say it is for Toronto at this point. So let's go to the American League Central. Now, we're not going to do as deep of a scheduled dive into this because it's pretty clear that three of the top teams in this division are all going to be making the playoffs. So you've got the White Sox at 27 and 16. They're a game ahead of Minnesota, who is 27 and 18. Cleveland is a game and a half back of Chicago at 26 and 18, just a half game back of Minnesota. So it's pretty evident, at least based on the records at this point, that whoever finishes third in this division is going to be the seven seed in the American League playoffs, whether that be the White Sox, the Twins, or the Indians, because it's top two each division, then the next best record. I don't see any team catching the Indians, Twins, or the White Sox, meaning the Yankees, or at this point, probably the Seattle Mariners. Now, there's a very good chance that The Houston Astros end up with a sixth seed, and they will have a far worse record than the Twins, the Indians, or the White Sox. So schedule analysis really isn't important here. Pretty clear that all three teams are going to end up in the playoffs. I think everybody can make that determination with two weeks left in the season. A little bit more than two weeks left in the season, but with two weeks left in the season. So let's take a look at our one last remaining race, which is the A's and the American League West. So Oakland is at 27 and 15. They're six and a half up on Houston. Houston is 22 and 23. They're bad. Houston's 
not good. They've had a lot of injuries, but they're not good. Seattle, meanwhile, is at 19 and 24. So the Mariners are three games back of the last wild card, but which is currently held, I should say, by the New York Yankees. But Seattle is only two games back of Houston. I'm going to check the schedules. I do believe that there's one more matchup between the Mariners and the Astros this season. I think the Astros and A's are done. I think the A's dominance over Houston was absolutely crucial in determining how this race shaped out. But I still think that there are some tough matchups for the Astros remaining. So the Mariners schedule as it remains is as follows. They are going to be at Arizona for three games. They got swept in a two-game series against the Giants, which snapped, by the way, a four-game winning streak, which was their sweep of the Texas Rangers. So they're going to be at Arizona. Then it gets a little bit wild. They'll be home for a doubleheader against the A's on Monday. So they're going to play doubleheader against the A's, then two games at home against the Giants. An off day on the 17th, then they'll host the Padres for three and the Astros for three. Then they'll go back down to Oakland where they'll play four games in three days to finish off the season. So the Mariners have got a tough schedule left because they've got to play seven more, check that, six more games with the A's, three games with the Padres, and you still can't write off the Astros. So while the Mariners have been playing better baseball, I just do not see them as the team that is going to end up, you know, getting in over the Yankees. I think the schedule is less favorable. As for the Astros, they are going to be, okay, how did this work out? The Astros are not playing today. They will be at the Dodgers on Saturday and Sunday for a two-game set. Then they'll host the Rangers for three, the Diamondbacks for three, then at the Mariners for three, and at the Rangers for four to finish off the year. Okay, so the way I look at this, it's pretty evident that the Astros are going to end up as the second-place team. Unless they completely fall apart, their schedule is way more favorable than the Mariners at this point. Mariners have to play Oakland six more times. Astros, despite getting their asses handed to them by the A's, they are done with the A's. They just lost four of five against the A's in Oakland. So uh, truly, in my opinion, it is about over for Houston in regards to the division. But wild card, they should be all right. So as it would end today, the seeding would be as follows. The A's would be the number one seed because they have the better winning percentage. Tampa would be second at 636, and the White Sox would be the three seed. Your four seed would be Minnesota because they have the next best record. Five seed would be Toronto. Your six would be Houston. Your seven would be Cleveland, and your eight at the moment would be the New York Yankees. Now, a lot can change. We know that. Baseball is unpredictable, but just the way that the schedule is working out, I don't see the wild cards really changing I also don't see the Mariners catching the Yankees. I don't see the Orioles catching the Yankees. I think the Yankees are in a good position to be that number eight seed at this point. But the top is pretty clear in the AL Central. It's just going to be who ends up in what position. So let's move on now to the National League. In the NL East, the Braves are at 26 and 18. They're three games clear of the Phillies, who are at 21 and 19. They're three and a half clear of Miami, who's at 20 and 19. 
The Mets are at 20 and 24. They're six games back of the division. They're three games back of Philadelphia. Washington's pretty much out of it. They're nine games back. They're 16 and 26. So let's take a look at the remaining schedule for Atlanta because it is reasonable to assume that the Phillies and the Marlins can both catch the Braves at this point, but the Phillies and the Marlins are going to be beating up on each other for the next couple of days, seven games in the span of about four days. So that's going to be a lot of baseball. So they're really not going to move a whole lot, but looking at what the Braves are going to have to do, their schedule is pretty favorable. They've got three remaining in Washington, then three at Baltimore, an off day, then three at New York. They'll finish at home with four against the Marlins and three against the Red Sox. This is a very favorable schedule for Atlanta at this point. So I think the Braves are going to end up running away with the NL East. The Phillies, meanwhile, how do they and the Marlins stack up once they're done playing each other? So we're going to pull up the schedules for both of these teams to let you know just how it looks once the Phillies and the Marlins series is done. So, okay, by the way, this is how the series is going to be. It's going to be doubleheader today, single game tomorrow, doubleheader on Sunday. Monday was supposed to be an off day. Now they're going to play. So the Phillies starting on Tuesday, they'll host the Mets for three. Then they'll be at the Blue Jays for four. They're going to play four games in three days. Then they're going to go to Washington. They're going to go play four games in three days there, have an off day on the 24th, and then they'll finish up with three at Tampa Bay. This is not a favorable schedule, not only because they're playing two of the top teams in the American League East. They are playing. Let's just count it up. From today onward, they are playing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. They are playing 17 games in 13 days before they have an off day. That is brutal. I don't know how the Phillies are going to end up surviving that. And if they do and still have a reasonable record and don't wear themselves out, I think it's safe to assume that they have a chance. Now, the Marlins are going to be in a very similar boat. So starting on Tuesday after their series with the Phillies is done, they will host the Red Sox for three. Then they will then host the Nationals for a five-game series in three days. It'll be a doubleheader on the 18th, a single game on the 19th, and a doubleheader on the 20th. Per baseball rules, you cannot have doubleheaders in consecutive days. That'll be their last home game on the 20th. They'll go to the Braves for four and the Yankees for three. So the schedule for them is much more favorable next week than it is the following week. So the Marlins are going to have to do their damage in the next week prior to going to Atlanta. They finish off with seven on the road against two teams that are currently slated to be in the playoffs. That, to me, is not favorable. But the Phillies' schedule isn't really favorable either. So let's take a look at what the New York Mets are going to have to deal with. They are against Toronto this week, so that is a very tough schedule to say the least. But starting on Monday, they will have an off day and three at the Phillies. They'll host the Braves for three, host the Rays for three, then they'll be at the Nationals for four. So their schedule is a little bit more favorable because they're not playing any doubleheaders to finish the season. But the Mets also have got to play two first-place teams. I think that's important. So I would not be surprised if the Mets end up making a charge at the end of the season. But again, 
Who the heck knows what's going to happen? All right, on to the National League Central. The Cubs are at 26 and 19. They're three games up on St. Louis, who's at 19 and 18. So the Cardinals are finally catching up in terms of games. The Brewers are five games back of the Cubs at 19 and 22 with a series against Chicago upcoming this weekend. They are two games back of St. Louis. Same amount of wins, but the Brewers have four more losses. Cincinnati's at 19 and 25. They're six and a half games back of Chicago. They're three and a half games back of St. Louis. Pittsburgh, meanwhile, is at 14 and 27. They're 10 games back in the division. I would say that the Pirates, they're 13 games under 500. Their season is pretty much done. The Cubs are a team that got off to a rip-roaring start, but their offense has been really underwhelming, and they have basically two starting pitchers. Hugh Darvish has been awesome, and Kyle Hendricks has been good. The rest of their starting pitching, John Lester looks like he's done. Like, he looks like he's done. The schedule for the Cubs in the next couple of days is going to be really tough. In fact, the schedule the rest of the way for the Cubs is going to be tough. They'll have a three-game series against the Brewers starting tonight. Then an off day on Monday, host the Indians for two. Off day on Thursday, host the Twins for three. Then at the Pirates for three. Then at the White Sox, which is not really a true road series because there's no fans. They don't have to really leave their own beds. But they're going to be at the White Sox to finish the season no more games against the Cardinals. So no more doubleheaders. The Cubs, they got obliterated in their five-game series against the Cardinals last weekend. So the Cubs did not come out of that on the strong side of things. But at least for now, they look like they're all right. Let's look at the Brewers' schedule because I want to save the Cardinals' schedule for last in our analysis of this. Because the Cardinals, they may still have a bloody mess on their hands. So, and it is also kind of a bloody mess for the Brewers. So on Monday, they'll host the Cardinals for a doubleheader. Then they'll play a single game against St. Louis. Then they'll play another doubleheader against the Cardinals. Off day on Thursday, then three games at home against the Royals. Then a three-game series at Cincinnati. Then they're going to finish up with five and four against the Cardinals. These two teams are going to beat up on each other. So that slot is going to be determined by how they survive playing against each other. You've got 10 remaining games against the Cardinals if you're the Brewers. And simultaneously, the Cardinals have 10 games left against the Brewers. Now the Reds. The Reds are going to be at St. Louis this weekend. Then they're going to have four games in three days against the Pirates. Remember, we had the Nick Senzel COVID incident, an off day. Then three games at home against the White Sox, three games at home against the Brewers, three games in Minnesota against the Twins. Opponents are not that favorable here. The Pirates, yeah, that's favorable. White Sox, not favorable. Twins, not favorable. I think the Reds are going to have to run the table against the Pirates and win two of three against the Cardinals this weekend. So let's take a look now at the Cardinals' schedule the rest of the way because this could be really interesting. I know they've got the doubleheaders against the Brewers, so let's take a look at what St. Louis has, and the schedule maker is probably just in an absolute nightmare. So you've got three games against the Reds. You had a doubleheader yesterday against the Tigers. You had a doubleheader on Tuesday against the Twins. So You'll have five games in four days in Milwaukee starting on Monday. Then five games in four days 
in Pittsburgh starting on Thursday. Three games at Kansas City, then five games in four days at home against the Brewers to end the season. The Cardinals are going to play starting today. One, two, three, five. Okay, I'm not going to count. I'm just not going to count. The Cardinals have got a lot of games left to play. All right? They are the only team that has not played 40 games yet. They've played 37 games. It's amazing at this point that they've played 37 games. But they still have 23 games left to play in 16 days. That's a lot of baseball. I am predicting that the Brewers are going to end up in second place. And the only reason I say that is that the the Cardinals are just going to run out of gas. I just don't see them being able to sustain this. All right. Let's go to the National League West. We're not going to do a full-blown analysis of this because the top two teams are pretty much set. Dodgers are at 32-13. and 13. They should be clinching a playoff spot pretty soon. They're three games up on the Padres, who are 29-17. and 17. Padres are five and a half clear of the Giants, who are 23-22. and 22. The Giants are two clear of Colorado, who's at 20-23. and 23. Rockies are seven and a half back of San Diego, 11 and back of Los Angeles. Diamondbacks are 16 and 29. They are 16 games back in total. So the real race to look at right now is the race for the final spot in the National League wildcard. So let's go through the seeding. Dodgers would be first at 32 and 13. Then Atlanta currently would be second. Cubs would be third. Fourth place would be San Diego at 29 and 17. They would be the four seed because they're the best record of the second place teams. The fifth seed at the moment would be Philadelphia. The sixth would be St. Louis. Now, seven currently would be San Francisco. Miami would be eight. Those are the only two teams that are above 500. Colorado is only two games back of San Francisco at this point. So let's just take a look at how the Giants' schedule stacks up against the Rockies. It's pretty clear. The Padres are in, the Dodgers are in. And I don't think that San Francisco is going to catch San Diego. So looking at their remaining schedule, the Giants are at the Padres for a four-game series. That'll conclude on Sunday. Off day on Monday, two at the Mariners. Then an off day, three at the A's. Then they'll finish at home with four against the Rockies and three against the Padres. Not an easy schedule for the Giants, to say the least. Is the Rockies' schedule favorable in comparison to the Giants? The answer is, well, that's your interpretation. They host the Angels for three games, then an off day on Monday, host the A's for two, and host the Dodgers for six. That is a brutal six-game stretch against the top two teams in each of the Western divisions. If they come out of that 500, I'd be surprised. Four at the Giants, and then they finish with four at the Diamondbacks. It's a lot more favorable at this point for the Giants to come out on top than it is the Rockies. The Rockies are going to have to be the team of the first three weeks rather than the team of the last four weeks. So I think that Colorado and San Francisco are both in a position to where it's going to be very interesting to see which one of them ends up in third place in the National League West, and if either of them makes the playoffs, because we still have to watch out for the Brewers. We still have to watch out for the Marlins. We still got to watch out for the Mets. The National League wildcard picture is a lot more jumbled than the American League wildcard picture. We pretty much know that it's one slot available in the American League because one of the three AL Central teams will have the seven seed. 
So the AL, it's pretty much going to be the Yankees, Blue Jays, maybe the Mariners. I don't think anybody else. So very intriguing to see what's going to happen in the National League. We're not going to do stats today. We've gone on long enough. We'll do stats tomorrow, talk about some MVP candidates. I honestly think that Jose Abreu needs to be getting more attention for MVP. I'm a little upset he's not, and I'm going to address the Mike Trout, Gugu Gaga factor that people always have and why him playing on a losing team doesn't seem to necessarily affect his MVP cause. I did an episode on this a little bit earlier this year, but look, the Angels are bad. So, you know, Mike Trout, you can vote him most outstanding player. I don't think he's the MVP. I think if you're going for most valuable to their team success, at least in the American League, it's either Jose Abreu or Shane Bieber. But that's going to be a debate for another day. Thanks for listening to MLB Morning Coffee on a Friday. Have a great day. And please always remember that Black Lives Matter.